The following is a continuation of our series, Onward and Upward, looking at our daily growth through sanctification. We hope you enjoy. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, and we ask that you would meet with us here as we open your word together as we seek to better understand what it means to follow you and to find joy in following you. I do pray for each of the students here. I pray for the leaders. pray for myself, Lord, that we would be encouraged tonight because we spent time in your word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I read a really funny illustration that I'm going to share with you all tonight. And this one actually means quite a bit to me because I used to live there, so I know exactly what this guy is talking about. But if you go to the city of Jackson, Mississippi, okay, Jackson is known for its notorious potholes. Like if you drive around in Jackson, it is just laden with just terrible foot-deep potholes. It's not a good place to drive because your car is just bouncing all the time. And there was a guy whose name was Eddie Prosser, and I've actually got a picture of it. I'm going to show it to you in just a second. He decided that, you know, since the city wasn't fixing the pothole outside his house, he was going to actually have some fun with it. He was going to find some joy in it. So what he did was he took the city's orange cone thing that they put in the pothole so that people wouldn't drive into it, and he dressed it up and had a birthday for it. He put balloons on it. He made a really nice sign. Let me pull it up so you can see it. Uh, But he decided to celebrate this thing instead of, you know, just being bitter about it because he called the city over and over. And they wouldn't fix it. So, this is what he did. He made a a really nice birthday celebration for this pothole, okay? Now, the next day, guess what happened? The city came out and fixed the pothole, right? And it wasn't until he brought attention to it, through that small use of joy, that the city actually listened. Uh, This is actually a pretty common thing in Jackson. A friend of mine had one so deep in front of his house that he actually filled it with water and suds and took a bath in it and called the news crews out. And they came out. He was wearing a swimsuit, don't worry. But the next day, guess what happened? They fixed it, right? They didn't like that kind of publicity. Finding a way to find joy in the middle of something frustrating is actually a great way for us to look at our sanctification. We can see it as this arduous, difficult thing But God actually wants us to seek joy in the middle of it, kind of like dressing up an orange cone with balloons and decorations and having fun with it, right? And part of that, part of finding joy in our sanctification is actually looking at obedience in a different way, okay? Do you all like the word obedience? It's a fun word. Not really. But it's one that God actually wants us to see as a great joy. John Piper writes this, Because joy is an act of obedience, we are commanded to rejoice in God. If obedience is doing what God commands, then joy is not just a spin-off of obedience, it actually is obedience. So the Bible tells us over and over to pursue that joy. So tonight, I want us to open God's Word. I want us to talk about what it looks like to be obedient and how we can actually see that God is drawing us closer to Himself as we seek joy in that. So here's our main point. Every trial, every failing, every act of faithfulness, every step forward is an opportunity for joy. Every trial, every failing, every act of faithfulness, 
Every step forward is an opportunity for joy. And I want us to look at the source of our joy, which is the joy that we find in what God has done, His work. And then the joy that we get to enjoy in our work as we seek to be obedient. So, we're going to read Isaiah 61.10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with beautiful headdresses. And a bride adorns herself with beautiful jewels. When Isaiah is writing this, he's finding great joy in the salvation that God has provided and he likens it to clothing that he puts on. He describes the joy in images of clothing. You know, salvation clothes God's people in a beautiful way. Not only does God take away our sin, but He clothes us in His righteousness. He gives us that clothing that we get to wear, just like the bride or the groom would look on their wedding day. It's a beautiful picture. This is a really cool picture because it shows that Jesus' work on the cross is actually something that we get to look at and see, wow, Jesus did that for me. Jesus did that for me and I get to enjoy the benefits of it. He covers us in the same way that those garments are described. It truly was a joy for him to go to the cross for you. I'm going to have Michael come up and read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2, if you want to take a second to get there. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah, so this illustration actually helps us better understand what we spent time looking at last week when we looked at the process of sanctification. So the writer describes sanctification as what? Like a race, right? Do we have any runners in here? It's a good illustration, right? A race is something that isn't completed the second you step over to the first line, right? What happens? What do you have to do to win a race? You have to run. You have to keep going, right? There's a lot of training and a lot of practice that goes into winning a race. In the middle of a race, we put one foot in front of the other, and we keep going, moving towards the finish line. And Jesus himself had the goal of bringing salvation to us, and he did that one step at a time. He went to the cross. He went and sacrificed himself. And, and our passage right here tells us that he actually did that with a great amount of love and joy. And I want you to think about the weight of that. That Jesus actually delighted in dying for you. Okay? That's a huge thing. And as we look at Jesus and we look at the joy that He took in our redemption, we can actually look at that as a source for joy. We can say, He enjoyed dying for me. I need to enjoy living for Him. So He commands us to grow. He commands us to become more like Him by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And because of the whole idea of sanctification being a process, we get to see how God unveils that for us over time. He's working that joy into us one day at a time. Have you ever had to return a favor for somebody that helped you previously? Anybody had to return a favor for somebody? 
Did knowing that they helped you before actually give you a better perspective while you were doing something? Maybe you didn't actually enjoy what you were doing, but you knew that they helped you before, which gave you a greater appreciation. We should look at what He has done and say, I am so thankful that He has called me out of that darkness. So thankful that He has called me out of that life and He's drawing me to Himself. This should be our attitude with our sanctification because God has done something amazing for us and we're to live for Him because of it. So we follow Him and we're obedient to Him and we're thankful to Him. And His commandments actually can be a source of joy because of how thankful we are. So we find joy in His work. And then that leads to an outpouring of the joy that we take in our work. Okay? Joy in our obedience. Christopher is going to come and read John 14, verses 15 to 17 for me. John 14, verses 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Thank you. So what is the sign of our love for God, according to that passage? If we love him, we will we'll keep his commandments, right? Does that mean you're going to do it perfectly all the time? No. But the more you look at the commandments for what they're actually for, the more we see them as a way to honor God, the more we grow closer to him, we actually start to see them as a way, not just as a bunch of rules that we have to follow, or this burden of something that's unattainable for us, but rather we actually get to see them as a sign of the love that we get to share with our Heavenly Father. Jesus tells us that His commandments can become a delight to us because we're bringing glory to Him. That's actually the thing that we are made to do. If we're doing the thing we are made to do, then that is a joyful thing, right? This is similar to the way a child shows their love for their parents by listening to them, by obeying them. I'm in the throes of having a three-year-old in my house, okay? So I don't see a whole lot of that. But children can show love for their parents by obeying. That's a clear picture of what God is saying here. If we love God, we're going to look at His commandments differently. And He shares some encouragement with us here as we seek to obey His commandments. He promises a helper. Okay? He promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works that joy into us each and every day. The Spirit's promised to dwell inside of us. And the more that the Spirit dwells inside of us, the more of the Spirit outflows from us. This helps us to understand that God's commands, again, aren't just this list of burdens for you, like this thing that you have to do all the time in order to have right relationship with God, or this thing that you feel like you have to do because that's what your parents do, or whatever the reasons may be. He reveals to us, through His Spirit, the reason why He gives us commands. And that's to reflect His love back to Him. We actually see them as a means of grace and joy instead of a burden. So one last passage for us. Let's turn to Ezekiel 36. Caitlin's going to come read Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. 
Thank you. So God promises something amazing here. He promises to remove the one thing that actually causes us to choose sin all the time. And that's a heart of stone, right? So he promises to bring about change when he saves us. Okay? He gives us a new heart, puts his spirit in us. And he removes that heart of stone. If you think about a rock or a stone, can you put a rock in your hand and start pressing into it and change its shape? If you can, you're really strong. Come talk to me afterwards. It's just not possible. Uh, You can break a stone, you can chip a stone, but you can't mold it like you could a piece of clay. You know, a heart of stone is unable to be changed apart from what? The mighty work of God in somebody. So he takes that out of us and he gives us what? He gives us a heart of flesh. Now you can take flesh and you can mold it. It's massageable. It's not firm like a rock's. It's something that is moldable. And the picture that God is giving us here is that God is working something in us that's changeable. He's actually saying instead of this dark, cold rock of a heart that you have, I'm going to give you something that I can mold, I can shape, I can work on over and over throughout our life so that He actually makes us more like Him. So besides putting a heart of flesh into us, He also puts His Spirit in us. And that Spirit is the one who's at work to change us. He's keeping us in step with His words. Okay? And by putting His love for His Scriptures, for the Holy Spirit, for what Christ has done in us, it's essentially Him creating in us a heart that actually wants to do what we were created to do. Westminster Catechism, question one. What is the chief end of man? That we glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Because of our sin, we lose sight of that. But the more God works in us, the more joy we get to see in that calling. Let me close with this. There's certain things in life that go well together. Certain things that you can mix and they taste good or they just go well. Right? Take, for instance, like sweet tea and lemonade. When you put them together, it makes a delicious drink, right? Root beer and ice cream. Asa, got your root beer in there. Asa loves root beer. They go together for a root beer float and it's delightful, right? Football and friends. Coffee and reading. Rainy weather and naps. Cheese and crackers. Sunglasses and the beach, peanut butter and jelly, right? These are things that just mesh well together. But there's also things in life that just don't go well together, right? I would venture to say that none of you have ordered a Frappuccino and asked for, like, ground-up hot dogs to be put inside of it. Probably wouldn't taste good. Or say if you go to Subway and say, I'd like that barbecue chicken sandwich, and can you just put, like, crumpled-up bits of peppermint on it for me? Okay. That doesn't go together, right? Orange juice after brushing your teeth. Bare feet and rusty metal. Metal rock and sleeping babies. Buffets and roller coasters. Certain things in life just don't go together, right? Now I want you to think about this. In life, we can love God and we can love the world. Those are two things that are never meant to go together. Two things that just simply cannot mix if we are to be honoring God and growing in Him. We love God by obeying His commands and growing away from our sin. And as we've talked about tonight, God gives us joy in that process. We can find a great joy in it. Kind of like sweet tea mixed with lemonade, we can find joy in our sanctification 
as God is growing us, we can actually look back at our life and say, man, I am so thankful that I'm not the same person I was five years ago. And I'm so joyful that God is doing that work in me. We love the world by shunning God's commands. We love the world by looking at what God has told us to do and saying, you know what, maybe later on in life, maybe tomorrow, or you know what, God, I don't need this right now. I'm going to put it off for now. We love the world by living for ourselves and making ourselves rulers. And that can actually be a perceived joy to us. Like we can look at the world and say, I'm going to pursue this. And maybe you find some temporary joy. But it's, it's not going to be a truly joyful experience. It'd be like getting to the bottom of that frappuccino, that delicious chocolate frappuccino, and then you get to the chunky hot dogs at the bottom. What you thought was going to bring you joy is actually something distasteful. It's just wrong, and it's not good for you. Oftentimes, we will pursue our happiness by running from God, but God is saying, the more you pursue me, the more you're running to me, the more you're looking to me for your growth and satisfaction, the more joy I'm going to give to you. doesn't mean he's going to take away all the heartache and frustration from our life, but he says that we're going to actually be able to see joy in the middle of those things. Loving God's commands and loving the world cannot mix and produce joy. Only following God can. It was Christ's joy to go to the cross for us. He enjoyed doing that. He took on our sin and our shame and He sat at the right hand of the Father for our sake. And because of that, God is going to be at work in you. Some days it's going to feel like He's not. But He is at work, even if we don't feel it. Okay? So we can't love the world and love God at the same time and also find true joy. We can only do that by looking at how we view obedience. We're going to spend some time in small groups unpacking the word obedience and how we view it. So I encourage you to just think about that honestly. How do you view the word obedience to God? So let's seek to look for ways that we can find true joy in our sanctification. As God works those things in us, there's a promise that He gives to us that He will lead us to better places. He will never leave us alone in that process. He's always going to follow through on His love for you. Amen? All right, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank You so much for... The joy that you took in going to the cross and despising the shame and now sitting at your Father's hand to mediate for us, Lord. What a blessing that is. And I pray that as we look to what you've done, Lord, that you would actually help us to reflect that love back to you. Father, I just thank you so much for the ways that you call us to yourself and the ways that you change us. And I pray that even tonight as we unpack this topic a little bit more, that you would even further changes, Lord. Grow us closer to you even in the next 30 minutes, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM.